From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the new Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to this Workers' Day Monday morning show. Great to be with you. But perhaps even more important than Workers' Day is that this week is the big week in the Jewish community from an Israel perspective because we have Yoma Atzma Ut coming up, Yoma Zikaron, uh, all the big Yomim that uh, are a big part of the calendar in our community. And for the first time in two years, you'll be able to do them in person. So uh, you can go. It's going to be at Yeshiva College. Uh, uh, Yom is on Tuesday, the 3rd of May, half past six, uh, and um, be being able to give the opportunity to pay tribute to those who fell in the defense and creation of the State of Israel. And uh, definitely a very important topic at this time for sure. And then moving from Yom HaZikaron, you'll be able to go to Yom Ha'atzma'ut on Wednesday, the 4th of May, with the one and only Nglovu Youth Choir, who's going to be playing uh, in person and there, also at Yeshiva. So book online. And if you book online, you can stand a chance to win a ticket to Israel. So gates are opening at 4. Tickets are 60 bucks. Children under 3 are free food music rides it's going to be great to be back in person so you should definitely make your way over there and to discuss what israel means and what it means to be doing your ma'at at 74 in 2022 we have none other then Liat Amar Aran, she is the Jewish Agency representative here in South Africa and the director of the Israel Center. Liat, welcome to the New Blue Review. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Benji. So nice to be here today. Absolutely fantastic to, to, to have you here. Now, Liat, we, when we're talking about the, the State of Israel and the creation of the State of Israel, you really can't tell the story without talking about the Jewish Agency. It's an absolutely exactly. crucial part of the puzzle, but maybe one that we might forget about now that we have a state and, and a country. But give us a bit of the history. What, what was the Jewish Agency's role we're now Before. talking, yeah, 120 years ago uh, when, when so it was created. So, 1929, mm-hmm. the Jewish Agency was established to be the um, a organization that will start working on a state and will start building the country. So, to have someone that can take the money that Karen Ayasod was collecting from the Jewish community around the world, buying land, and start building a state, hopefully a democratic state. So times goes by, the British left the country, and the state of Israel was established. And then one of the biggest questions was, what's going to happen with the Jewish agency? Because we, don't, we no longer need her as a state. You know, David Ben-Gurion was the head of the Jewish agency. That's how he became the first prime minister. But what are we going to do with this huge organization that has so, so much connection and relationship all over the world? And the decision was to keep him under a specific law, uh, the organization that is uh, responsible on the relationship with the Jewish people around the globe, with uh, other Jewish communities, and with the state of Israel. And if we're looking about the Jewish agency, so we're dealing with three different uh, big elements. 
One of them is Aliyah, of course, the Jewish agency responsible of Aliyah. Israel as a state can't really be in South Africa and promoting Aliyah. It's not uh, legal, but uh, an NGO or like social organization can be here and help people that want to make Aliyah. The other issue is connect. Connection, building connection relationship between Jewish people in Israel and between Israel to the Jewish community. And the third thing is support and strength and empower the Israeli society. So there we go. That is a, a very short uh, introduction. We're going to be getting more into it. We're speaking to Liat Amaran. And if you want to speak to her, if you want to ask any questions, whether it's Aliyah or, or, or history or, or anything else that you might have a question on, 34519, that's your SMS line, uh, and you can also get us on Telegram as well. And uh, we're very happy to take any of your questions. Your Mats Ma'ut week here on the New Blue Review, and uh, yeah, we'll be chatting to uh, you about it today. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. We're talking today on 101.9 High FM New Blue Review with Liat Amar Aran. She is the Jewish Agency representative in South Africa. And if you have any questions or you want to comment on our show today, you can telegram us on 061-895-1019 and SMS us on 34519 and you can ask really anything you like. We're talking about Yoma Atzma'ut, Yoma Zikaron today. Big uh, public in-person events happening Tuesday and Wednesday this week. You can go check it out on the Zionist Fe- South African Zionist Federation uh, website if you want to book. And we're just chatting about Israel in general. Now, yet you work for the Jewish Agency now, but that wasn't always your background. You're uh, a, a very impressive academic CV, a very impressive activist CV. What decided you to come all the way down to the bottom of Drum Africa to uh, be part of the Jewish Agency? Interesting question. Um, I think it started when I spent some time in Russia and in America in Jewish communities. When I was in the army, I have been sent to work with the Jewish community in Russia for four months, undercover. And it was an incredible opportunity. It was 96, 97. The Russian people just get out of the time that they couldn't really be in relationship with, with people from Israel and talking about the relationship with Israel. And I was privileged to go there and work with them. When I finished my first degree at the university, I went to America to work with students, Jewish students from around the world that came to spend uh, time to talk about the Jewish identity. And for me, it was eye-opener, these two activities, understanding that there is much more than just the state of Israel. And the Jewish people, we all need to ask ourselves, what is this relationship? It's, it's not an obvious uh, answer. I believe some people will say that there is no more uh, role to the state of Israel with the Jewish communities. But there is still, luckily, m- more people that think the opposite. And for someone that's growing up in Israel and see ev- everything in the eyes of an Israeli citizen, the understanding that it's important to go out, to spend meaningful time in a Jewish community, for my family and for me and to work on that relationship and to understand the bigger picture was something that I knew that I'm going to do. And three years ago, actually, I finished a big job with the Israeli society and felt that this is maybe the right time to go before my kids are too too big, too willing to come with me to this part of the world. And we talked to the Jewish agency and when they offered South Africa at the beginning, we say no way. It's a uh, lot of crime. It's not a safe place. 
And then I remember Ellen, the head of the Jewish agency in that time, he's ex-South African, told me, go and see in your eyes. Meet the community, see the people, and see what you want. And after a few days here, I fall in love in the community and in the country. And I think coming from Israel and see such a diverse country with a, with a story of hope, like stepping out of apartheid, building a state with this new narrative of we can live together, we can invest in this country together. I think this is something that they really wanna, um, want us to see in Israel. And then I said, yes, I'm willing to come. <laughs> and it's very interesting what you're saying about Israeli society and, and the Jewish community. Because, of course, if you're Israeli, you grow up and you, know, you may learn English, but really it's a Hebrew-speaking culture and it's worried about the, the Middle East and the, uh, you know, the, the surrounding countries. Maybe if you're thinking internationally, you think about America because that's the most important ally and where the most of the Jewish community is. But for many Israelis, it's not that the diaspora doesn't exist. People know it's there. But it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's over there. It's a concept. And, of course, the way that Israelis relate to Judaism uh, is, is different. The way shuls are structured is different. The way institutions are, 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 are driving Judaism is different. So when you have that interaction, it's, a, it's often a very, for both parties, you know, when, when you're a, a nice Jewish boy and you go to Israel and you meet an 18-year-old girl with a M16 in the army. It's also a completely different yes. uh, perspective. So that interaction is actually very powerful and important. Very powerful. I think as a child or maybe a, a young adult, one of the conceptions is why not all the Jewish people coming and making aliyah? Mm -hmm. And I think when you're growing up in Israel with a narrative that Israel, part of the narrative, Israel was established because of the Holocaust. There is no, no place that... Uh, the Jewish people can go to when they suffer in Europe, etc. And even my grandparents, all my grandparents made Aliyah from Tunisia. And they had a good life in Tunisia, but they lived with a sense that they need to go to Israel. And as a young girl, I asked myself, why not all the Jewish Jews coming to Israel? Mm -hmm. And when you grow up and you understand that there is much more deeper story, and even the ability for us to build a net network of Jewish people around the globe, it's something so powerful to take the Jewish value and spread them around. And the need as a state of Israel, the need of a Jewish communities to support the state of Israel, to make it stronger, to be there for the state of Israel, it's something very powerful. Lately, I'm using the term sibling. In the last few weeks, when I try to, un to explain people what the relationship between Israel in the Jewish communities, I'm talking about sibling. Because sometimes you pray that you wouldn't have that sibling. And you wish that your parents didn't give birth to this, to this uh, brother or sister that you don't like. Sometimes you love them like they're part of your body. Sometimes you fight with each other. Sometimes you fight uh, toward attention. Sometimes you disagree about one, one, uh, one and another decision. And sometimes you're feeling, you know, this is a reality and we need to live with it. And, but you can't really take away your sibling. They're going to be there. They're going to stuck with you. And I think this is a good understanding of the, that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and lots in, 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 in that analogy. We're talking to Liat Amar Aran. She is the Jewish Agency representative here in South Africa. And you're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. It is 
Independence Day week, your Matzmot week, and we're talking about Israel on the new Blue Review. And make sure that you are going to your Mazikaron, your Matzmot this week. You could go to the Zionist Federation website and just book uh, half past six for your Mazikaron, and uh, your Matzmot is at uh, starting at four, but will go on for the whole evening. Uh, and you can win a trip to Israel, which I think not all of us have been able to do for the last while. So you should uh, definitely take advantage of that. Now, Liat, uh, you mentioned that your first interaction with, with diaspora jury and, and, and sp- in speaking to people outside of Israel with it was in the former Soviet Union. Uh, that is suddenly a topic that's very, very important all of a sudden, yeah. all of, again, after th- 20 or 30 years. And the Jewish agency is playing a huge role in in handling what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Maybe you can talk to us a bit about that. Actually, it's incredible. And I think it one of the times that I'm so proud to be part of the Jewish agency. When the war started, the Jewish agency asked herself what's her role in this situation and how it's going to end, how it's going to move forward. At the beginning, we have lots of employees that are sitting on the ground of Ukraine, working with the Jewish community there, that the Jewish agency tried to work through them, but it was not so successful because they all tried to evacuate themselves and to leave. Some of them stayed until the minute that they felt it's not safe for them to stay. And then the Jewish agency also helped them to leave the country or to find a safe place to be. And very early in time, I think after days or two, no one was waiting on the border to the refugee that came from Ukraine. I think no single organization were sitting on the border, accepting the refugees and finding them a solution. It took to most of the European countries time to understand that they need to solve that problem. Eventually, it's refugees that running toward the rest of Europe. But the Jewish agency that, that saw that opportunity, and in five different points around the borders with all the different states around Ukraine, they put a representative of the Jewish agency to accept the refugees and those that are uh, wishing to connect to Israel or to connect to the Jewish community came to those people and have been taking to facilities that uh, were helping them settled, get decent clothes and food and arrange their thought and decide what they want to do whether they want to stay there until they're going to go back or some of them decided to go to other communities in Europe. And more than 20,000 Ukraine Jewish people decided to come to Israel. So with a fast, fast process, they managed their document and they helped them make Aliyah. I think it's incredible. We're still working there. I think part of the job beside dealing with all those Jewish refugees and many refugees stepping out and saying, no, I don't want to go to Israel. I don't want to make Aliyah. I don't want, I want to go back to Ukraine or I want to go b- stay in Poland or Belarus until the things will settle and I can go back. But many of them, this is their opportunity to make Aliyah. Some of them never left Ukraine before. Some of them never fly in a plane. And our people and a lot of delegations that coming from Israel with the Russian language manage those their relationship and time until they actually can go to Israel. Another work that the Jewish agency doing in Europe is uh, supporting the other Jewish communities to work with the refugees that are coming with this traumatized background and help them settle in those communities. And this is something that the Jewish agency started doing along the year, but mainly during COVID, understanding is they can give a lot of knowledge and expertise about managing crises, dealing with trauma, in uh, around the globe we're chatting to liat uh, uh she is from um from uh, she's from the jewish agency and if you want to ask any questions 34519 is the sms line you can telegram us on 061 
1019. And, and talking about Aliyah, um, you know, uh, our community, there used to be a, a, a phrase in our community, not a good phrase, but, but a phrase, where we used to say, you know, that we're a very Zionistic community and we're so Zionistic that we all moved to Perth. Um, <laughs> But that's not the case so much anymore, and it hasn't been the case since you know you you arrived here in South Africa, uh, and then and 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 for a large part of the time that you've been here, you've been confined to your house uh, because of COVID. So that's been a really unusual experience, both for you, I'm personally, I'm sure, but yeah. uh, also from a perspective of of. Um, of Aliyah. So, so what has been going on with, with, with Aliyah in our community with COVID? So, so I think this phrase is not not relevant anymore. <laughs> Most of the people that immigrate from here, I think immigrate to Israel eventually. Mm-hmm. Maybe because the immigration rules of the, the policy of the world have been changed. And also I think people see that Israel becoming stronger and stronger and there is much more opportunities. And Israel still supports Jewish people to come there. And Jews that want to make Aliyah, Israel is still helping them, offer them support through us when they're coming to Israel. We, I think I helped more than, I think, one and a half thousand people to make Aliyah. Me and my team, it's not me alone. Me and my team here and the team in Israel, giving knowledge, giving information, dealing with the bureaucracy and trying to support, especially during COVID. It was tough. Every Aliyah was a big, big, big project. None, none of the Aliyah flight during COVID look to another. We always tell the Olim that if you are not resilient enough, don't make Aliyah during COVID because everything can change literally a few hours before you're getting on the plane, whether you need to go to governmental quarantine, which test you need to do before, which document, etc. One of the nicest stories is that for a time, Israel's borders were closed and they told me from the Jewish agency, Liat, stop the Aliyah. And I said, I don't want to stop the Aliyah because I know that you're still keeping Aliyah from Ethiopia. And maybe we can merge those Aliyah. And they said, no, give up. Only from, it, from Addis we can make Aliyah now. We got a governmental permission to bring two planes from Addis, nothing else. And don't bring people from South Africa because of the variants there. Don't deal with it. And I pushed. And eventually I got approval to send 15 people to Addis that will get on the plane with Ethiopian uh, Jews that made Aliyah. One of them was Rabbi Kesev, that you all probably know from the King David School that made Aliyah on that flight. And I think for the South Africans that joined that plane, it was a very meaningful uh, Aliyah experience because they joined a plane of Ethiopian Jews that coming from a very different background and a way of living. They landed in Israel together and been accepted by the government and they had a big, big uh, acceptance uh, ceremony at the airport. And they spent the quarantine time with them in Haifa. And this is just one example of the craziest story that we deal with. A lot of people that have been tested positive and couldn't get on the plane. And a lot of touching and moving moment in these two years helping people. And I think beside Aliyah, we, we acted as a very meaningful role by helping people get into Israel and out of Israel in the last two years. When we looked around, the state of Israel closed the borders for a long time and put us in the red list for a long, long time. And the embassy was dealing with what she was allowed to do. And we kind of falling in between the state of Israel, the embassy, and the Jewish, peop- the Jewish community here that wanted to meet each other, whether to go to a wedding or just to visit a sick parents or whatever, going back to the university. 
thousands of stories and cases came through our hands and we tried to assist. I think most of the time we succeed, but many, many times we disappointed people that uh, can't really go into Israel. I think the chief rabbi here was acting a meaningful role by, the, by explaining the state of Israel, how important it is to open the borders to the Jewish communities. And I was screaming and became a very nudnik in that sense for people in Israel by fighting that war. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, uh, travel before the pandemic was such an easy thing. You could book a ticket online and go anywhere in the world. And, and I think that people got used to it, took it for granted in some respects, and particularly as Jews being able to just go to Israel for whatever we needed uh, or come back and, and suddenly you didn't have it. And I think it's shown, it's shown how important that relationship is and how much you know, people like to talk about how, uh, you know, is there a separation between the diaspora and Israel? And it, but, but really, that the, the, the physical act of being able to go there and visit and the fact that so many people needed to and wanted to and even with this virus we're pushing, I think shows that the, the connection there. Between the community. I think we're in a different time. I think 20 years ago, people lived either. Like, you, either you made Aliyah and you're stuck in Israel or either you're living here. Now we see much more different way of living, people sharing their life between the two countries, people having apartment there and a, and a house here and maybe spending summer here, summer there, and people even working. Part of the work is in Israel, part of the work is here. Families are splitting between the country and allowing themselves to live in two places. The world going that way, especially after COVID where people much more working from home. And for me, it was one of the time to from one side, explain the Jewish agency how important our role by being here, by being that connection, someone that can raise a phone to the head of the COVID uh, management office and talk to him about the reality here. And in the other side, help people, you know, leave that ability to shift between the countries. And it's definitely show the relationship of this community with Israel. We're chatting to Liat Amaran today. You can uh, SMS us if you want to ask her any questions about uh, her role at the Jewish Agency. 34519 is the SMS line. Telegram 0618951019. We're talking about Israel and, and uh, the diaspora and everything in between today uh, because the 3rd and 4th of May is Yom Zikaron and Yom Atzmaut. So it's very, uh, very appropriate. Now, Liat, I am interested in the dynamics of Israeli society as well. We, it's a changing society. It's not the same place as it was uh, in 1948 or even 1967. And you played a very interesting role in, in working with the presidency of Israel to try and help Israelis to understand what their society now looked like. Uh, could you tell us about that uh, study and, and what sure. work it was that you did there? So I will start a bit with my PhD. Mm-hmm. My PhD was dealing with a relationship between Sephardic Jew, Mizrahim as we call them in Israel, and the Arabs. And one of the most important things that I, you know, I was, when you're saying finding in PhD, it's, a, it's overestimated a bit. But one of the things is like the process that Sephardic Jew need to go through when they made Aliyah or immigrate to Israel was in some way putting aside their identity. Because to be related to an Arab culture, Arab language, was to be related to the enemy of the state of Israel. And the reality of the state of Israel was to establish in one narrative strong a way of establishing a state in such a short period in this complex area 
was to say, guys, we need to keep us united and we need to put aside whatever make us feeling a bit conflict with the reality that we're trying to build. And growing up from that place, when I finished working, I was managing big organizations that dealing with rehabilitation of people with mental illness. They thought that I need to go back to more of like soft area. I was looking to work with uh, Israeli society. And I have been offered to come to facilitate a process that they uh, called Living Together. We brought together representatives from all the different communities around the Israeli society. It's mean Arabs, Muslim Arabs, Christian Arabs, Jews, Bedouin, uh, Jewish people, uh, Russia with the Russian background, Ethiopian background, uh, Sephardic, Ashkenazi, male, female, religious, secular, uh, from the LGBT community, name it. Any type, we tried to bring to the table 30 people from all the different communities. Each one of them was a leader in this community. And we went with them through a process of a year and a half. Besides that, during those years, they were always involved in different initiatives that trying to bring those different communities together. So I talked about the beginning of the state when we're trying to create one narrative. On the 70s, those different communities that have been forced to go in, the, in one line, in, in one narrative, each one of them tried to go back to her roots and to strengthen their identity and to push to get more space in the Israeli society, like to establish specific cultural clubs and to establish specific schools and to fight for budget for their community. I think in 2015, when President Rivlin came on board, it actually said, guys, stop. We won't manage if we still be splitting and cut the cake to so many pieces. Let's start, start bring us back together. And there, that's the time when I step into those area. In my life, I was always involved in different conflict of the Israeli society. I think since I started working, I was uh, doing projects between Jews and Arabs, between secular Jews and religious Jews, between new immigrant and uh, citizens that lived in Israel for many, many years, always like dealing with other area of those but always it was too conflict side. Never like, let's bring everyone to the table and try to navigate this different agenda and values. And it was a very, very powerful process. There is still a lot to do. I'm sure everyone of my community or of my people that went with me through those processes changed their mind. They're willing to hear more voices. They're making sure that their feed in their Facebook page are much more diverse, that they're gaining friends from different community and they're listening to their voices around any conflict that the Israeli, that Israel is dealing with. And I have lots of WhatsApp group combined from those people, and it's always very interesting to listen to them and to see what they bring to the table. But eventually there is still a long, long way to go. And I believe that only from personal relationship you can open your heart to, to another person that's holding very different point of view and value than you. And it's happening when you're working with them and, and doing that together. And so when you did that, that, that project, uh, I mean, was there some sort of outcome or, or a report or what, what once all these people had sat together and talked, what, what was the sort of outcome of, of those discussions? So we put a report together and we duplicate the process to many, many other organizations. One of the things that they done is going to different universities and helps them understand the diversity 
internally in their institution between their student. Just one example. When I was teaching psychology for many, many years in Ben Gurion University, my example were always from my word, like um, a traditional Israeli that growing up in Israel, that uh, grew, have the privilege to live wherever. When I was aware to the diversity of the Israeli society, my example spread to the Russian community, to the Bedouin, the dealing with the different uh, position of the women in the, in the family. And I was working with my student, for example, students that are going to be nursed in the hospital, and telling her, when you're meeting a um, patient, that she's coming from the Bedouin tribes, how are you going to treat her? What are you going to ask her? How are you going to manage the relationship between her and her husband in the women department? He probably won't be in the labor. How are you going to manage it? And let them be aware to the diversity that we're dealing in the society. Just small and stupid example, when I build my test to my student, instead of using the name Moshe and Chaim and uh, Dani and Dana, I start using Muhammad and, uh, and Igor like Russian name, Ethiopian name, uh, Arab name in my exam, and, and start thinking in a different way, in different layers, in different angle, in order to accommodate this. And this is just a short example. But I think it's relevant for which people you hire to your organization, how do you bring a much more diverse narrative to the table, and, and eventually what we're going to do with it. Chatting today to Liat Amar Aran, representative from the Jewish Agency. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM. It's uh, Israel Independence Day week, uh, and we're talking to Liat uh, Amar Aran from the Jewish Agency. Make sure you're getting down to uh, to your mats. But it's only in person this year, so you can't can't do it on Zoom. You have to go or you have to miss out. That's the only way to do it. Third and fourth of May. Now, Liat, I was very struck that you used um, the University of the Ben-Gurion as, as your example, because, of course, based in Beersheba, very much uh, a kind of symbol of the sorts of things that you're saying. You know, when, when you used to go to, to Beersheba or think of Beersheba 20 years ago, it was a place of camels in the Bible, right? <laughs> uh, but now it's a, it's a city, it's connected to Tel Aviv by a big highway, the university is a big place for cyber tech and, and all of that sort of thing. And so it's a, it's, it's a completely different reality, but still maintains a large connection to the Bedouin community around it, still in the desert. So, so it's, as, it's very much a symbol of that old but new changing dynamic that you do find in Israel so often. Yeah, I grew up in Be'er Sheva. Uh, and both my late parents are, are uh, uh, resting peace in Be'er Sheva. And I have a, a big, big warm heart for Be'er Sheva, although I don't like the desert. <laughs> so I, I think I would prefer to live in the north if my parents would ask me, but I find myself growing up in Be'er Sheva. And I think along my life, I always came back to teach in the university, uh, to manage organizations there. And I have a warm peace in my heart to Be'er Sheva. And Be'er Sheva, it's a very interesting city because there is still a lot of potential there. The Negev is 60% of the size of the state of Israel. And probably if you want to have an apartment in Israel, it's going to be in the Negev eventually. And Be'er Sheva is growing up and developing very quickly. And I think it's, it's also a platform to do a lot because they're lacking people. A lot of people coming from the center of Israel to work in Be'er Sheva. And Be'er Sheva really wants strong people to come over and to work in the university, in the hospital, 
and it's an interesting place, as you said, connecting to the Bedouin people there, to all the um, uh, development, development city that the State of Israel established in the 50s, and not all of them have developed enough, but now there is new movement of mayors and strong people coming on board, like Yerucham, Netivot, Ofakim, Kirat Gat, small cities that uh, could be stronger if good people are going to come there and uh, support them. Now, talking about good people, you're not the only one here in, in South Africa from the Jewish Agency. You, ho- you have a whole network of, of people around you in, in Cape Town, uh, different, uh, different programs. Uh, one of them that, that sticks out for me and is uh, relatively new, I think, may have either come under when you arrived or, or just before, is the, the Shinshniot, yeah. uh, 18-year-olds, uh, I think pre-army, if I'm not mistaken. Pre-army, yeah. They, they, who, who, who want to do service in the world and actually come and, and, and are sort of informal educators in our, in our school system, which I think is just a great way to connect uh, communities at that age in that way. So we have, I'm really not alone and I can't do what we're doing here by myself. I have incredible team in the office here and in Cape Town and I have incredible mishlachat. We have the Shmueli family in in Cape Town and the Glad family. We have two shinshiniot here and a bonim shaliach in Johannesburg and we're all working together and in different area with different part of the community. So we have two young shlichot shinshiniot that a year before the army stopping their life in Israel and coming to volunteer here for a year. They're not big educator and they're not coming with a lot of experience, but the main impact that they're doing is building relationship with the kids. And when your 17, 18 years old kids start think, asking yourself whether you want to go to Israel, serve in the army, or do whatever, you can always raise the phone and call those shinshiniots that they are his friends and he feel related to and talk to them about Israel. They're spending a lot of time in the school and in Bnei Akiva Youth Movement, and doing a lot of activity about Israel, engage with the kids, uh, see what the kids are interested in, and trying to bring it in a more wider scale, working with the teachers, stepping into classes, and building relationship with our young generation. We have an incredible Abonim Shaliach, Liora Giv, that doing amazing work through Abonim, and also in the school, educating about Israel, and see himself also a community Shaliach in the wider. And we have two amazing family in Cape Town doing the same work in Cape Town. We just opened back the Project 10 in Durban. It's a project that brings young Israelis to volunteer in Durban. And we're all together trying to connect the community to Israel in different ways through cultural activity, giving knowledge, build relationship, and support people with any type of relationship, as I talked about the sibling uh, image before. And the Shmueli family, of course, in, in, in Cape Town is special for a number of reasons. But in a, in a South African context, I think it's probably our first Ethiopian-Israeli family that's come on Shlechut. It's the, the second one. the second one. We have Dani Abebe. Oh, of course, we had Dani before. Dani Abebe and now Shmueli is in Cape Shmueli, Town. And I think it's the first uh, mixed couple that come on Shlechut. Mm-hmm. Dani had uh, also Ethiopian wife. And Shmueli Batya, she's uh, coming from the Ethiopian community and had in, is an Israeli from Enhod. And they came here with the three kids to Cape Town. And they're also doing an incredible job, I think, just by meeting them and see how Israel allowed this diversity to exist. I, I believe it's very powerful. You don't see a lot of black Jews here. There is limited number, as I can see going around the community. 
And I think it's, it's a very unique story, even for communities that are uh, located in Africa, to hear about another African community and their relationship with Israel. It's a very, very strong uh, story to hold and to carry with you when you're talking about those relationships. Yes, absolutely. I think it's extremely powerful and, and, and just a great just a great advertisement for the state of Israel and, and the Jewish people in general, yeah. I think, is, is, is amazing. Now, you've mentioned a little bit about Shin Shinyot and Habonim Shaliach. That, that dynamic of the youth is, is such a powerful one in, in, in South Africa. The fact that we have a relatively small community compared to the rest of the world, but before COVID, every December, you would get a thousand people on a camp whether it's Habonim, Beitar, of course we have Netze, I mean, uh, Netze, yeah. Beitar, um, Habonim, Habonim Ben Akiva. Uh, and then around that, a number of other uh, groups that are also youth orientated, Bikur uh, Kolim, uh, the camp, the soldiers or the students, there's a, a program uh, that you run, um, which name has just gone straight out of my head. Uh, Ledovado? Uh, not Ledovado, the. Uh, Maccabi? Maccabi is another one. The uh, with the, the leadership program for young people between Israel and and South Africa, the Dilla, the Dilla, ah, Dilla, Dilla program. Okay. Right. So, so all of these programs of of young people in our community, and and I think that in some ways they've been some of the hardest hit by by COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they've been stuck inside for 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 two 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 years. They have to put up with their parents instead of with their uh, with, with their f- with their friends. Yeah. And and. You've been doing a lot of work to try and find a way to 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 try and get them back on track because they have to start doing all the things they were doing before, but but with two years less experience to do it with. Yeah, you're you're definitely right. I think everyone asking himself anywhere in the world how we address the young adult, how we connect to the new generation, and how we bring them on board. And I worked with the Zionist Youth Council since I got here. Uh, with the Zionist Federation, Israel Center Zionist Federation. We try to work with them, to be relevant to them, and to see how we can support them, because we believe in youth movement, we believe in youth organization, they are the future, and we need to put all our effort to make them be strong and and strive, whatever we can do. And COVID was, was bad to all of us, and especially for them, and no matter what they tried to do, and some of them really did a lot, it wasn't the same, because those ages need to be with each other, and a few weeks ago, breaking our mind what to do, we decided to hire someone to run the Zionist Youth Council and to be devoted to that. And this is working very, very well. And we also decided that we want to invest in them. And we, want, we said it out loud. We put budget towards that. And we're trying to do as much as we can to support them and to make them feel that uh, we are behind them. One of the third activities that we've done is we brought the older, the young leadership with the younger leadership to engagement. We brought them uh, for the first evening together to talk to each other, to understand the challenges that they are dealing with, and to start building relationship between them. They never met each other. They don't really know what the older organization are actually doing, what each organization responsible, and where we're going to. And we hope to take it forward to invest in this generation, to empower them, and to give them more tools and skills and be behind them. One interesting thing is that they're sitting together. Bnei Akiva, and Abonim, and Netzer, and Beitar, and Sojas, and Maccabi, they're all sitting in the same room, working toward project together. For example, Yom Zikaron going to be run by them. And they did it together, no matter where they're coming from, what their background, what their political agenda. 
Uh, and I think it's incredible. And not an obvious thing. We think it's normal in South Africa, actually, for that to happen. But in, even in Israel, that would sometimes be seen as an unusual... Exactly. Very... Do, you know? It's very powerful to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're communicating and thinking together and trying to build something. We're talking today to Liat Amararan. She is the representative from the Jewish Agency in South Africa. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM. Now, Liat, the Israel Center with the Zionist Federation and the Zionist Youth Council, it is Yom Ha'atzmaut week. Uh, People can be going to Yom HaZikaron. Uh, the K family is going to be speaking. I think that that's going to be very powerful yeah. uh, at half past six at Yeshiva. Yoma Atzma'ut and Global Youth Choir is going to be playing uh, at Yoma Atzma'ut. There's going to be rides and games and uh, scientists and all sorts of things that are coming. You have the chance to uh, win a ticket to Israel if you book online. Tickets are 60 rand. So if you go to the Zionist Federation website, you can book uh, and and. <clears throat> And be part of it for the first time in, in two years. I think it's really a great opportunity. But if people want to get hold of of the Israel Center in particular, uh, whether it's for Hebrew or for Aliyah, for some of the programs that you guys are running, uh, one of the things you've done under COVID is make it much more accessible from an online perspective. It's you know more so not so much about paperwork. I mean, still lots of paperwork, but now online paperwork. How, how can people go about doing that? Okay, so first of all, we are back in the offices. I think this is a very big change, <laughs> and people can come to us. Uh, we are in the building in Beyachad, in Johannesburg, in the Samsung Center in Cape Town. We actually did a beautiful new website, as you said, Benji, and people can go online and see the different projects that we're running, the different engagement, and it's much more than that, because eventually I believe our role as a Jewish agency is to work in this relationship. So any opportunity of relationship that's coming to our toy bell, we, we embrace it, we hug it, and we go with it. If a shul wants us to come to a talk, if organization wants us to find a partner organization in Israel for them, uh, we're building different uh, partnership through our partnership with Bechemesh Mate Yehuda, Entrepreneurial, Managing Community Under Crisis, Sport Partnership, School Partnership, anything that can strengthen this relationship and build toward that. Besides that, we of course helping people that want to go to Israel to Medaliyah or to go on a program, study in Israel. Massage. Massage, of course. Huge opportunity for people. Huge, huge opportunity. It's a big, big grant that people are getting to spend more than five months in Israel. So anyone between the age of 18 to 30, 35 can spend meaningful time in Israel if you haven't done that before and go on different programs that we're offering. We're dealing with Project Ten, as we said, volunteers that are coming to Durban, to Mshlanga, and we're having the shlichim all around, networking the community with Israel. And we're just trying to be relevant to any organization, schools, shuls, Zionist organization, and working hand-by-hand with the Federation. But you can come, you can see us online, you can go to our website, you can call to the Israel Center. I will give the number just now. The number we've got here is 011-645-2666. Great. Yeah, 011-645-2666. And uh, email Liat A at jaffe.org. Yeah, and you can see me on Facebook. I'm trying to be active in the different community groups. (laughs) And you can always find me on Facebook and chat with me. And I'm very 
open to have one-on-one chat with people that want to talk to me about Aliyah, about Israel. Uh, invite me for dinner. I will invite them for coffee. And Or you can see her at Yoma Atzmato Yoma Zakaron, yeah. I'm sure. So uh, that will be a great opportunity. And uh, yeah, if you want to just go to the Zionist Federation website, book there, Yoma Zakaron Yoma Atzmaut. And, uh, and with that, bringing us to the end of the show, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Mashadi, who helps do the production, and to Vusi, who's on the sound, and Craig, who pushes all the big red buttons. And to you, dear listener, who joins us every single week. And please do join us next week on the new Blue Review.